Today's scripture reading is out of Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is the word of the Lord. Right? Let's try it together. What do, you, what do often people say after this is the word of the Lord? Well, look at that. You guys know how to do this. That's great. That is appropriate. Well done. Well done. So this passage, um, yeah, we're going to get back to it and actually kind of camp out. We're going to cover most of it, but we're going to spend most of our time on the first verse. And one of the things we deeply desire, the reason we're going to look at this, is that as a church, we deeply desire at Hope to be a healthy church, a healthy family. And recently I read this quote that got me thinking, um, and the quote is this, there is no greater challenge in building a healthy church family than mastering the art of handling conflict. Now, uh, it occurs to me, too, when I saw that, that, that uh, learning how to handle conflict is not just crucial to being a healthy church. It's also important in learning to be a healthy person. See, what tends to happen when there's a conflict, and I've been around a lot of different churches, and our church, does, does, this does not happen so much here as far as I know, but what tends to happen with pastors that I meet with and talk with, there's, there's kind of a three-phase of what happens. Conflict comes up, and here's what happens. Number one, there's the conflict. And then number two, you get one of two options. Either there's conflict and then gossip, or there's conflict and people know better than to talk about it, so, but they just go cold, silent, and then the third step is people just leave. Now, sometimes there's good reasons to leave, and that's granted, and it's okay, but when this becomes a usual way of operating, and it's not just in church, oftentimes it's in relationships, it's not um, what God has for us, it's not his idea of healthy. I was meeting with a, a pastor friend at a local church, and we were just talking about, um, this was a couple months ago, we were just talking about how, like, it is interesting how much kind of conflict happens in churches, and, and sometimes, like, things happen that we all feel like, oh, don't we know better than this? And he was telling me about a situation, and I was like, yeah, I totally get that. And, and then he asked me this pointed question. He said, Doug, when's the last time you actually taught about how to handle conflict in church? And I was like, um, well... <laughs> Yeah. See, what he poked at was um, when I first started here six and a half years ago, I heard a, a guy talking to, you know, hey, if you're starting at a new church, work this into your preaching rhythm. He said, once a year you preach on what we call kind of the Matthew 18 principle. Once a year you preach on Matthew 18, make sure that you keep this in front of your people. And I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. Every year we're going to preach on Matthew 18 and talk about how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Every year we're going to do Anybody want to guess how many years of the six I've, I've done it? Today, one. Yes, I get one. I get one. Thank you. Thanks for believing in me and going with two. I appreciate that, Brittany. You're so awesome. What a great teammate. 
Um, so here we are. That's, this is something I've been thinking about a while, and it's like, it's, it's time. Not because I have the perfect sermon, but because um, this perfect sermon never comes. The perfect timing never comes. Here we go. Um, and part of why I thought the timing was good today is that as a church of small groups, um, when you start to get closer to people, conflict will just happen. Inevitably, conflict happens, even in healthy relationships, even with healthy people. Conflict is just part of the human condition. So we do need to know what to do. And in Matthew 18, starting in verse um, 15, which is where we're going to spend most of our time, uh, instead of doing that cycle that I pointed out where it's, you know, you know, conflict and then gossip or silence and then leave, instead of that pattern, Jesus gives us a better pattern to follow. He says, if your brother or sister, by the way, notice the family language, if your brother or sister um, sins against you, other say, uh, translations use the phrase, um, if they act wrongly towards you or offend you, if that happens, when that happens, you go, and then Jesus gives us kind of a pattern on how to proceed. Now, um, although Jesus here in this passage, he is speaking specifically of, of dealing with sin within the church, where somebody sins against you, we can apply these things to conflict really in general. In fact, I've uh, adapted how, I like how John Ortberg broke it down in his book, um, great title, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. You like that? <laughs> tells you something. Now, he breaks it down into seven steps because, you know, we're Christians, so of course it's seven steps. Um, I'm, it's actually painful for me to do anything that's a three or a seven step, but this is actually a pretty good pattern, so I'm going to swallow my, uh, my preference, and um, I, I like how he breaks it down. By the way, we, um, Brittany made this uh, so you can take a take-home version of this with you. I hope you got that on the way out, on the way in, but you can grab one on the way out. But it puts them all on one page with an accompanying phrase. Thank you, Brittany. That'll be helpful. Um, so here's what you do. Uh, one, if there is conflict, then two, you, three, go, four, to the person. Five, in private, six, and discuss the problem. Seven, for the purpose of reconciliation. It looks pretty simple, right? If you read the verse, you pull this out of it, it looks pretty simple. But the odd thing is, honestly, we don't tend to do this real well. Um, I've talked to some other pastors. Again, I have lots of conversations. And one of them said, this may be the single most violated of Jesus' instructions that he ever gave to the human race. Um, and then he pushed a little further, and I felt a little convicted. Um, he said, there are people who love Bible study. And they've gone to church for years and heard hundreds of sermons. And I'm like, okay, now you're talking about me. He said, even those people, we, I'll say we, we somehow ignore the Bible's teachings when it comes to this one. And so why? Why do we do that? And I think, especially when you kind of break it into these seven pieces here, every one of these is kind of a crossroads in Jesus' instructions, that one sentence where we hit the crossroads and we come up with reasons to ignore the clear instructions, the pattern that he gave us. Like, I get tempted to go the other way. So that's why we're going to walk through what Jesus said here in verse 15, one small step at a time. And by the way, when we get through the seven, some of you are going to be like, all right, sweet, we're out of here. I'm going to take just a little bit of time because Liz read that longer part of the passage and just 
have a thought on just a few of the other verses, because this whole thing is, what do you do in a conflict? It's kind of stage one. And we're just going to touch on the other two, because there's sometimes misunderstandings about what to do if stage one, this thing we're going to look through, doesn't work out. So here we are, number one, here's what happens. If, and I'm going to say when, it's not really if, there's, it's when there's a conflict, right, because it's going to happen. When there's a conflict, here's what we do. We need to acknowledge the conflict, right? See, to be alive, to be in relationship means there's going to be conflict. People are going to fight or disagree. People will just simply have different points of view. Some people fight fairly. Some people don't fight fairly. Some fights, uh, if done well, if conflict is done well, can end in a stronger relationship, deeper trusts, other kinds of disagreements or fights can end in coldness and leaving or brokenness. Um, and many people, many people prefer to pretend, um, let's just pretend, many people pretend to, you know, like, okay, we pretend that conflict just doesn't exist, right? People pretend that. These people are called husbands. So... Um, <laughs> Talking to me here too. Yeah, okay, my wife was nodding in the first service. Yep. Okay. Yeah, um, but but you know sometimes we tend to go. Oh, if there's an absence of conflict, it's a sign of spiritual maturity and health. But that's not always the case. See, passivity doesn't make someone spiritually mature. It just means they're avoiding or even apathetic. So when there's a conflict, we have to acknowledge it. We name it. And by the way, we can do an entire month working on the nuances of each of these steps, but in the interest of time, I just want to admit that, that, that on one hand, each one of these kind of pieces of this can be complex, yet they are still very clear, really clear. Like when there's a problem, we want to acknowledge there's a problem. I mean, God knows there's a problem, so why would we try to hide God from it? Like, he, we can't hide it from God, and why would we try to hide it from ourselves? We need to name it. See, here's why we need to learn to acknowledge the conflict and name it. If we're going to learn to do life as a healthy church family, or just like a healthy human, unaddressed and unresolved breakdowns are not acceptable. Now... Just quick time out, and I need to just say something up front here. Some of you have other kinds of situations, and I want you to hear me. Um, I'm not talking about these in this process, because some of you have been physically abused or emotionally abused, or you've come from a place where there was a religious context of spiritual abuse by leaders. I am not. Please, at any point in here, do not apply this to those situations. I don't want you to put yourself back into a situation where you're going to find yourself harmed in any way. So if that's your situation, those kinds of abusive situations, um, but you feel like you want to take a step and move towards somebody, here, come talk to me, uh, Pastor Liz, my wife Heidi, um, talk to a therapist, um, because there's so much that we just can't cover in one sermon. So those kinds of situations, I do not want anybody that's been through that kind of abuse to go, all right, I'm going to try this with that. There's much more going on there. So there, I put that over here. Okay. But in the rest of our kind of common, normal situations, um, things that are not 
those sorts of abuse. This framework is such a great teaching for dealing with conflict in relationships. Because again, when there's conflict, then there's always something we need to name it. We need to not tiptoe around it or fake or, or pretend because that allows resentment to build up in our hearts. So again, number one, we name it. And then two, next one, two, the next word in Jesus' interactions is you, right? You and I, we have to take responsibility and address the issue. Now, oftentimes when it comes to, okay, I'm going to have to address the issue, the big question that comes up for a lot of us is, all right, well, then who goes first, right? All right, who goes first? Anybody else besides me, right? Like, oh, listen, I always go first. I think it's, I think it's Heidi's time this time. She needs to go first this time because I always go first, right? I mean, come on, the first will be last, the last will be first, and it's my time to go last. So thank you uh, for letting me twist that scripture, Jesus. No, it just <laughs> doesn't quite work that way, um, you know? And I know this. I know this. I, I know better, but I don't want to go first, right? Sometimes I think, oh, maybe it'll just blow over and we'll be fine. Or, or sometimes I'm like, listen, they wronged me. It was their fault, so they need to come and apologize. Doesn't that seem fair? It does. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't very fair sometimes, but he is wise. Because if it was the rule of, okay, well, whoever started it, whoever was wrong, then it's on them to go first. But when we hold that up next to what Jesus says, Matthew 18, 15 again, if your brother or sister sins against you, you go, point out their fault just between the two of you. According to Jesus, if they sin against you, who goes? Oh, you go. Dang it. You go. You go. Right? Jesus says right there, you go. Now, if you're like me, I love to find loopholes, right? Oh, okay. Okay, then, then, then if it's the other way around, uh, I got to wait for them to come to me, right? It's, uh, they got to go to me, right? And um, in a, by the way, in a world of wonderful, mature Christians, that's what would happen. They would, they would. You offend them, they would come to you and let you know about it. But Jesus, again, he's so wise. He knows people. He knows our broken tendencies. So he covers that loophole in Matthew chapter 5 and says this, Matthew 5, 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, what? Go and be, important word, be reconciled to them. And then come back, right? So, Man, somebody has an issue with you, who goes? <laughs> you go, right? Either way, you go. I don't want to go. They need you. Either way, you go. There's no out. There's no loophole on this. You go. You always go. They are your brothers and sisters. You go. And that's a big part of taking responsibility in a conflict, all right, that one ties into the third one, number three, third part of verse 15. Jesus says, if there is a conflict, two, number two, you, number three, go. Like the go part here, the go is to take action, like to approach instead of avoiding and letting resentment fester. See, when there is a conflict, 
you go. Now, if you're somebody that's a personality type that you love conflict, you get super excited by this one, right? And just a word to you if you're excited by conflict, um, because you want to give your truth and let them know the, the truth and confront. Okay, slow down. If that's you, just slow down. Slow down, right? Um, those of us that are wired that way, we tend to be real clear on what I'm right about and what I'm upset about. So slowing down means for me when I get in that mode, like stop, take a look in the mirror, get honest about my own flaws, so that when I do go and approach, I do it in humility. Now, for the rest of us who don't enjoy conflict so much, we can get real anxious about approaching a person in conflict, and so we come up with all kinds of reasons why not to. Well, like, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd rather avoid it. Like, I don't want to go. <laughs> Besides, what if it, get, it gets ugly? Sometimes it's more fun to actually play the victim. It's more fun to pout. I'd rather stay offended. I kind of enjoying feeling right and superior and self-righteous. Sometimes I would rather kind of keep my anger. I think it protects me, and we can use those excuses to avoid going. And again, we could, like Isaac's up here painting, but he is a therapist and he could do an entire clinic on how to appropriately handle conflicts. Um, it's not a bad thing to learn more skills and wisdom to better help us handle conflict. In fact, I made that one of my goals this year. This year, I want to get better at handling conflict in healthy ways. I literally wrote that down as the first you know, goal for the year, and I'm already reading books, talking to therapists and mentors about this. Um, so I'm working on it. And by the way, I'd rather not have any conflict um, until I get better at it this year. So please leave me alone <laughs> until I get better at the... Wouldn't that be nice? Doesn't work that way, does it, though? It just doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. Wish it did. So since we have to live in reality <laughs> and we can't put off conflict until we finally master how to deal with it, here's how. Here's how we want to handle conflict and do it in a healthy way. Here's how we do it. Ready? You do the best you can at the moment. That's how you do it. Even short of skills, even imperfectly. It's like preaching this sermon, if I waited until I had this whole thing down, <laughs> and there was never any conflict at our church, that enemy's going, oh, is he talking about that? Then I would never do it. <laughs> Similarly, we do it the way we know how in the moment, because if we wait to handle the conflict until we can finally do it like a pro, we will never go at all. So we go with what we have, because doing it perfectly is not the main thing. The main thing is to go. To go. That's the main thing. To go. And the opposite of going is avoidance. I'm good at that, but the problem is avoidance destroys community. Avoidance fractures family. Avoidance allows resentment to grow. Avoidance gives the enemy, actually, we'll see in a minute, a, a foothold to exploit so that he can bring damage now and more damage later because of our avoidance. <clears throat> now, kind of again, here's life lessons from Doug doing this wrong. Um, one thing to notice when we go, um, sometimes, because I don't want to go, 
I think, okay, I gotta, I'm, I gotta get angry enough to finally take action and, and go. I gotta finally be mad enough to go. And if you go, oh yeah, I get how that works. Um, listen, anger in itself is not a sin. It's not a bad thing. Um, people who stuff their anger, they are not more spiritually mature or advanced. Uh, the Bible does not say, don't ever be angry. It says in Ephesians 4, in your anger, some of you know, in your anger, what? Oh, we know that one. Do not sin. So sometimes anger actually is a warning sign like, oh, hey, that's something I need to look at and maybe move toward inaction, but I've learned this the hard way from doing it wrong and continue sometimes to do it wrong. Going to someone while I'm still anger and that anger is front and center, it's virtually impossible to do that and do it well. See, in fact, read, if I read the whole verse, in your anger, do not sin. Next phrase, do not let the sun go down. While you are angry, wisdom here. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold because if Here's what Paul's saying. If you let anger and avoidance like settle in, the enemy will, will use it to get a foothold in your life. That's why Proverbs 14, 17 says this. People with a hot temper, anybody know this one the hard way? People with a hot temper do foolish things. But wise people, wiser people remain Calm. Calm. See, if you get angry, it's okay. Just don't let it spin you into acting rashly. And then don't wait so long that you don't come back. <laughs> There's kind of a thing to balance here, right? Um, sometimes I like, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm too mad right now. But then I go away. And what I do is I spin up bigger arguments about why I'm right. And we have the whole conversation. It just gets bigger for me. Like, that's hard not to do. Um, so, give it time, but the other caution, like I just mentioned, when you cool down, don't wait so long to come back and have that conversation that it turns into avoidance, right? I've done that. Like, I've cooled down to avoid, like, going in anger, but then I turn it into avoiding dealing with the problem, right? Well, guess what? That issue almost always comes up again and again and over and over, and then I know I've gotten more resentful about it. There have been times where I let that relationship go to the point because I've avoided it where it's deteriorated, sometimes even broken. So make sure when you try to cool off, you follow through. So wait, on the one hand, don't go in your anger and get all big. On the other side, when you do cool down, don't let it turn into avoidance of the confrontation. All right, number four. These last ones go a little quicker. When there is a conflict, you go, number four, to the person, right? This is the next part of Jesus' teaching. Go directly to the person involved. You go directly to the person. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not just, you go directly to, I hate this part. Like what I wish I'd, what I'd rather do in conflict 
is, I don't want to go to the person that I'm, I want to talk to somebody sometimes, but I don't want to go to the person I'm in conflict with, right? Are any of you honest enough to raise your hands and admit along with me that you almost never want to go talk to the person when you're in conflict? Some of you are looking at your spouse, go ahead, raise their hands for them, you know. (laughs) Two hands up there, amen. Thank you for your honesty. Listen, that's okay. Like Jesus... No surprise, he knows that this is a common tendency uh, of human brokenness. It was common back then, it's common today. He knew this was so common that he had to come up with this teaching we're looking, this verse really we're looking at today, so that 2,000 years later it was written down to give us a pattern towards, by the way, life, not legalism, toward life. So you go. To the person. Even though we'd rather tell another person about what happened, maybe, you know, ask for feedback from this, well, this third party neutral person and say, oh, yeah, well, here's what's going on. But don't tell anybody else, right? See, because it's just, it's way easier to go talk to somebody else. Sometimes I think we secretly or not so secretly hope that they're going to validate our concerns about why we are right in this situation. So in this phase of confrontation, Jesus says, go to the person, not a third party is implicit. See, problems get worse when we triangulate. We pull another person into the conflict to help try to deal with the issue, or we think, instead of dealing directly with the person involved. So because we do that, it starts to spread, because now we've brought someone else in, and who knows where else it starts to spread. But what it does is starts to poison relationships, and it can spread and poison the small group you're in, the family you are in, the workplace you are at, it can really sour a church as well. And that's why, we'll come up on number five here, when there is a conflict, Jesus says, you go to the other person. Next part, in private, right? Jesus uses the phrase, just the two of you. And I'm not going to say a bunch about this one, um, but I hope in our small groups this week, uh, I haven't seen the questions Brandon's working on, but, um, but, but I kind of hope um, that we talk about this one. Why do you think Jesus says to do it this way, in private, just the two of you, right? Um, a couple things that occur to me, by doing it in private, um, we don't embarrass the other person in front of others. Nobody likes to be embarrassed in front of others, so go in private. That's a way to be sensitive. Um, I'd say this is a way that to be humble as well. You go in humility. Humility says I go, but I say, hey, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe I don't have the whole picture, right? Just be self-aware. Maybe even before you get there in private or while you're waiting for the meeting, have, lo- have, have located in yourself, um, why am I so angry about this? See, anger is a secondary emotion. Um, so, why am so why am I so angry? Um, or, or, or what do I want? Do I want to win this argument, put them in their place, get them to stop doing what I think they should stop doing? Or do I want, we'll get there in a second, do I want reconciliation? Because the other stuff is what I honestly go with, and there's a better way. There's a better way, reconciliation according to Jesus. Again, it all seems pretty simple, although I'm sure it's not. We go in private, We're humble, 
We try to be sensitive to that person. Move to the next one here, number six here. When there's a conflict, you go to the other person in private and number six, discuss the problem directly. Isn't that easier said than done, though? Because <laughs> when we get to this spot, we have to make sure we tell the truth. We name the conflict. We try to be direct. We try to be clear. Be gracious, please. Be sensitive. But some of you know what it's like to go and talk to somebody, and then you walk away from that confrontation, and you wonder if, um, did they tell me everything? Researchers call it the last 10%, right? What about that last 10%, right? You know, the last 10% that was really important to say, actually really crucial and needed to be said, but you were like, oh, I don't want things to go worse, so I'm not going to say it. But we knew we needed to say it. Yeah, say it. Say it. Just go ahead and say it. See, the verse on the screen um, points to why it's important to be direct. And learning to do this well is important. The Bible calls this being direct, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. It's both. It's truth and it's love. And I know from kind of my experience in life is uh, we tend to do one or the other, right? I'm going to be more about, I'm about the truth. I'm bringing the truth here. We might say it's in love, but is it really? We kind of know when it's not. I'm the truth, right? I think of it as two arms. Truth arm or it's the arm of love. And what we need is to bring truth and love, both of them, because what we want this confrontation or this situation to do so that it brings reconciliation. We want truth and love because I want to give you a full, strong, and loving embrace. And to do that, I need both arms of truth and love. But you know what it's like if somebody comes to you in confrontation and they put the love one behind their back and even if they say it's in love, what they do, I'm, I'm bringing truth in my confrontation. When we just have that arm, what we do is we kind of slap people upside the head. It's not quite like Jesus. <laughs> or if we come with just the love arm and there's no truth in it, it feels very soft. It's sort of like patting somebody on the back and then they walk away not knowing what needed to be talked about. So the Apostle Paul and Jesus in other places, they talk about truth and love. Truth and love, a full, strong, loving, two-armed embrace for brothers and sisters, and that's why we want to speak the truth in love. But hear me, the tension of learning, because it's a process, learning to speak the truth in love, it takes it takes practice, which is part of why we want to be a family so we can have enough grace for each other as we practice and sometimes fail, and we can learn through practice how to do truth in love together. And the last part of verse 15, before we get to the next couple verses that I promise will be quicker, <laughs> we do all of these steps, all that we've talked, we do all of it and we do it the way we do it for the purpose of reconciliation. See, in a conflict, don't forget the aim. The goal is reconciliation. And this is hard when I come into a conflict and I think the 
purpose of the conflict is to tell the truth and get you to agree with the truth as I see it, or that I want to win. Um, no, we're aiming at reconciliation. We're not trying to win. We're trying to reconcile and restore that brother-sister relationship. And by the way, reconciliation is rarely simple. It's almost never quick, but it is what God wants for us because he knows it's best for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, if I don't go to a brother or sister and have a heart of reconciliation for that person that I'm in conflict with and I do all the rest of these steps, then all the rest of these steps that Jesus gave us, they're for nothing. See, reconciliation is at the heart of God, and it's why we want to do conflict in this healthy way. So, great guide. You can just look at the verse in Scripture, too, and walk it through. Helpful, I hope. But this is what we often refer to as, you know, step one, uh, if there's a problem. That's all of verse 15 right there. Now, I want to touch on these next verses and then one thing to close. So that would be kind of step one. But since we want to study the Bible really well, we want to at least look for a moment and clarify a couple things um, that happen after this. So there's kind of this step two, step three. We'll put the verses up on the screen, verses 16 and 17. Some people think, okay, well, we did step one here. It didn't work out. So let's do, you know, that's strike one. Let's do strike two. And even strike three, and then you're out, right? It's part of why I want to just spend a moment teaching on this, because first of all, this is not a three-strike process. That's not how it works. In fact, if you look at the first verse, and, and I didn't put it on the screen, but if you look at the first verse here, step one, that first process of this stuff, this is not something that you just do one time, and then you're kind of off the hook, and it's one and done, and it didn't work out, um, no, actually what we need to do is we need to continue to try to work it out between the two of us for as long as possible. We don't do it once and then immediately move to step two and pull in a third party. And some of you will go, wait a minute, Doug, where does that come from? Well, good question. It comes from the text. It comes from the scripture itself, that verse. The Greek verb used when Jesus says, go to the other person, that Greek word for, for go um, actually is in the tense that means you go to them over and over again and again and again. It's not a one and done. It's an over and over and over deal. You go again and again. You go and you go and you go. It's not one and done and move on to step two. Because remember, the goal is reconciliation. So sometimes, oftentimes, you have to go and go and go again to move toward reconciliation before it works out. So let's say you get to the end of that, move on to step two and step three. I'll read verse 16. This is often thought of as step two. So you do that, and if they will not listen, take one or two others along. Um, so step two essentially broken down this way. Just bring somebody with you. When you do that, okay, now we're going to widen the circle. Now we've had the one-on-one -on -one plenty of times, so we're going to bring in a neutral third party who's mature, who can actually help. And that one, this step might take more than one meeting. Again, that's still biblical because the goal is reconciliation. And then, if you get to the end of that, however many times it takes, 
And you have to go to step three, verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector or a Packers fan. Now, hey, my team's not even in it, so I'm just jealous. Um, Most people read this step three, and actually everybody that I looked at that taught it, and it was quite a few, um, the way they apply this is not actually like Jesus at all, and it's not actually biblical. Like people kind of think, well, this step three means, okay, we're going to warn them if they don't listen, we're going to kick them out of the church. Hopefully it never comes to that, but we are prepared to do it. In fact, when Heidi, my wife Heidi was a new believer, she was going to a, I won't name it, larger church in town here. Um, They took this Matthew 18 thing pretty seriously. And I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people at this church. And there would be times where you'd show up at church and a letter would be handed to you as you came in, the church discipline letter, because they got to step three and they named the person and their sin and, and they were putting them under church discipline. They would read the letter, right? Treat them as a, some of you know the church I'm talking about because you might have been there before. By the way, we're revising our bylaws at church, but we're not adding that one in, okay? So don't worry. Um, And some people actually would say that we're not being biblical because we don't like kick people out. Strike three, you're out, right? Um, So let's actually go to the text. Let's read this verse a little slower. If we get to step three, how do we treat them? What's it say right there? Like what? Like a pagan or a tax collector. Hmm. How did Jesus treat pagans or sinners and tax collectors? Right? He drew, what? Near to them. His heart was for them. Did not condemn them or push them away or kick them out. He gave us love grace when we didn't deserve it. So, that's how he treated them. And if we get to a place in a relationship here at church where we've done the process, we're still stubbornly at odds, and we think it's time to separate, and maybe somebody is clearly sinning and wrong. By the way, we would do something different with somebody who's dangerous or abusive, but if we're just like, we get to that step three, somebody's sinning, they are wrong, then how, if we get to step three, how do we treat them? Yeah, we win them the same way Jesus did with his love. Because the aim is reconciliation. That's the goal. They might leave, by the way. That's their choice. You might need to put limits on your interaction with them. But the goal isn't sever the contact and never speak again. And I know that does happen. Actually, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, his closest partner, ministry partner, Barnabas, had a sharp disagreement. And they parted ways over there. It was, quote, a sharp disagreement. We don't hear if they ever figured it out and came back together. It's extremely sad. We hope it never happens, but sometimes it does. And even when it does, can we keep that long view of reconciliation in our hearts? Okay, as the worship team comes, I want to read the last 
couple verses, a few verses that we started with that Liz read up front. We've already looked at step one, two, and three. Verse 18 says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's talking about reconciliation still. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I won't get into the deeper teaching about what the binding and loosing meant in a Jewish context of rabbinic teaching. Verse 19, next verse. Again, Jesus says, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Listen closely. Verse 24, where two or three, some translations say two or more gather in my name, there I am with them. Interesting. We know this verse, right? We apply it to prayer, and I think it can be applied to prayer, but if we're going to read it in context, how Jesus taught it and what he was talking about was reconciliation. You're in conflict with your brother or sister. You're working on reconciliation and forgiveness. He's saying here, be encouraged. I'm right there with you. You don't know what to do. That's okay. I'm right there with you because where two or more are gathered, that's you and the other, Two of you are gathered trying to work out the conflict. You are gathered, and sometimes it's more, two or more, because you got to go to that step two. So even when you have step two and beyond, where two or more are gathered, the aim is reconciliation. And if that's your aim, if that's your heart, be encouraged. It's not about getting it right. Know that Jesus is sitting right there with you, sitting between you. And his heart is for reconciliation. He doesn't leave you alone to just try to figure it out in the process. He's right there with you and with the other person together. Because the heart of God longs for his church, for the family of God, to learn to love one another even when we don't agree and even when we've hurt each other and even sometimes if we have to part ways for a while. So this morning, if you can think of a conflict that you are in, and I'm not talking about abuse of power or people who have been unsafe or violated you, I'm talking about if you have a grudge against someone, talking about brothers and sisters in Christ that you struggled to maybe get along with, they rub us the wrong way, or maybe they were rude or harsh or unkind, or we sharply disagree, and maybe it's something else, but you know, you know, oh yeah, I got this thing, we got this thing between us, what would happen if instead of the kind of normal, usual pattern I mentioned up front where there's, okay, there's anger and there's either gossip or coldness and then we leave. Instead of that usual pattern, what if we trusted Jesus to remove the obstacles by doing what he taught for, for you to privately go have that tough conversation with the heart, with the goal of reconciliation? What would that look like? How would that change your life and relationships? See, I wish I could go to every small group this week and hear, because some of you have so much wisdom to share about this. I think you're going to tell stories in your small groups this week of the success and the failures where you've gotten it right and gotten it wrong. You might go and get encouraged by hearing somebody else's 
as screwed up as you, or you might hear that somebody else grew in this area, and that might give you some hope. You might hear a story in your small groups this week of the, the freedom that somebody found when they stepped into and actually did what Jesus taught. See, brothers and sisters, that's what following Jesus together looks like. We take what Jesus taught, we learn to walk it out, we follow him together. I mean, he gave us these teachings, this wisdom, because he knew that it would change our lives. When we live it out, if we just try it out, it'll change our lives. And he doesn't expect us to do it perfectly. But he wants us to take comfort and remember that he is with us, right there in the midst of us as we sit down with that other person and learn it together, as we fumble through it even together. Jesus is with us, so let's trust him. And let's build on the wisdom, the teaching, the foundations that he offered us because they lead to life and freedom and love. <laughs>